What's going on, guys? We are back with the 50 Plus One Football Show, your home for all things Premier League and Bundesliga. We have a nice little host of topics for you today. But first of all, a man who doesn't really need an introduction, but I love him as much as Liverpool fans love Jurgen Klopp. It's Billy. Well, that's a whole lot of love coming my way from you, my man. Feeling is very mutual, of course. But like Lewis said, Liverpool fans love Jurgen Klopp. And that's what we're going to talk about in our Premier League section today. We'll take a look at how he's done at Liverpool and talk more about the revelation that he's going to leave at the end of the season before moving over to the Bundesliga. We're, we're going to look at an Union Berlin red card on Leroy Sane, but it wasn't for one of the players on the pitch. We'll have a look at the Augsburg game against Bayern Munich, a scrappy 3-2 win. Thomas Tuchel. It's been criticised again by Diddy Haman. It seems to be Diddy's favourite pastime. And of course, we'll have a look at Bayer Leverkusen. They dropped points for the first time in months. And the title race just got a whole lot more interesting in the Bundesliga. But all that and more after this. Well, like I said, there's no Premier League this past weekend because of the FA Cup. And that works out pretty well for the pair of us because Jurgen Klopp, Last week at the time of recording, dropped a pretty big bombshell on Friday. Ruined my, uh, what should have been a relatively quiet day at work. It was talk of a pub lunch at one point. But then Jürgen had to go and drop the news that he was leaving Liverpool at the end of the season. We had live FA Cup games that weekend that all wanted Jürgen Klopp content. So, is this a surprise, Lewis? And just how much of a big revelation is this? For the club and the fans of Liverpool. I mean, for me, I don't know if I'm the only one who thought this, but I did not see that coming, you know, in any form or fashion this season. It didn't seem like Jurgen Klopp was ever destined to leave Liverpool. It was more of a thing like, oh yeah, he'll be there and they'll celebrate 10 years with the guy in 2025. You know, it it will have been, you know, nine years now since he took over. If we're being honest, it was nine years that he left Dortmund. But, you know, still, he was almost there for a decade at Liverpool. And if we're being honest, he did nothing short of turn that club around in every sense of the phrase. I don't know of any manager who has really done that. Maybe you could talk about uh, Sir Alex Ferguson in the 80s when he took over United and United were struggling and he turned United into, you know, the behemoth that it was up until he left. And yeah, I mean, I don't know about you, but would you say that Liverpool now are in danger of having a regression like the type that United did? Because you've got some older players in there with, you know, Virgil van Dijk, Mo Salah, um, Firmino's already left the club. It's not the youngest of squads, if we're being honest. And, you know, the starters or the the star players that Liverpool still rely on, they're not, you know, the young bucks who are coming through. I'd argue they're the, the older, more experienced ones. Yeah, the only thing I would say in defense of that, that I don't think it'll be a regression like it was with United, is because it's, a, it's still a very good side. Like United's side was a good side, but it was a side that was very clearly on the way down. There was more aging players. There were more players sort of overdoing it, I think, overperforming, I'd say that. And, I mean, let's be honest, United got the following appointment wrong. Yeah. 
that's the important thing for Liverpool. They have to get the next appointment right. And we can talk about that towards the end of the season or whenever more news of that comes out. The clear front runner is Xabi Alonso, who we've talked countless times about this season for his work at Bayer Leverkusen. But I just want to talk more about what you said, how we changed the club similar to that of Sir Alex Ferguson. Because also Xavi uh, has announced that he's going to be leaving Barcelona at the end of the season. Jurgen Klopp talked in his exit interview almost that he's sort of run out of energy. His coaching style is all based on energy and he was sat there in the meetings for next season going through transfer targets and training camps. He's like, I, I can't see myself being here. I've just not got the energy for it anymore. Put that into perspective that Sir Alex lasted 26 years, I think is oh, pretty spectacular. But what Jurgen Klopp's done in such a condensed period compared to that of almost a decade? Because people will say, yeah, they haven't won as much as they should have done. You know, they've. they've oh, I think that's absolute BS. I'm, I'm sorry. There, there was, I saw this reel. I sent it to you as well. There was some reel from, from some United fan page that said that they had won more titles with the worst United team ever seen than the best Liverpool team that is ever being seen. And I'm sorry, but the titles that Liverpool won, you know, just by the by, it wasn't more titles. It was actually United had less in the same time frame. I think it was seven to five, and they quoted it as like four to five. You can't honestly tell me that if United won... And I know I know this is going to be a dagger to your heart, Billy, but United won the the best best trophy they may have won is probably the Europa League that Jose Mourinho managed. Give me that Pogba deflected goal off Davidson Sanchez any day of the week. Prime achievement was and debatable, either the Champions League title 2019 or the first Premier League title in 30 odd years for Liverpool. You can debate all you want which one was better, but well, just to give people a rundown, it was one Premier League, one Champions League, an FA Cup, a League Cup, a UEFA Super Cup, a Club World Cup, and one FA Community Challenge Shield, not the English Super Cup, as it's Which it quoted is. In it is. Is, it not the, is it not the Premier League winner versus the FA Cup winner? It is not the English Super Cup. It, will it, never is, be. it is, in essence, the English Super Cup. Every other, every other nation on earth calls it a super cup when it's the league cup winners versus the oh i'm sorry that'll confuse people in england when it's the you know the the domestic cup winners versus the domestic league winners that is the that is that nation's super cup then but it's not even a cup it is a shield but i don't want to get bogged down in this okay, for, because this fine, is a conversation fine. for another day when there's not a massive breaking story that exactly. we have to talk about so he's managed 465 games 466 with tonight's game against Chelsea going on. 289 wins, 96 draws, only 80 losses in that period. Which, when you look at the team that he started with, let me just read to you a quick rundown of his oh, first. Please Liverpool do. I know 11. exactly which team that is as well. So, first lineup in 2015 Seymour Mignolet in goal, Nathaniel Klein, Martin Skirtle, Sacco, and Moreno, Emre Chan, Lucas Leiva, and Philip Coutinho, Adam Lalana. James Milner and Divock Origi. It's not a bad team, but it's definitely not a team that would win the Champions League one day. I know Divock Origi played a massive part in, in that. that. Yeah. <laughs> That's down to him. Like I said, 
in German you have this great phrase, you, you know, you he had den Verein umgekrempelt. And those of you German speakers know that he basically, that directly translated means he basically folded over the whole club. And in essence, the, the, the saying goes that basically you take the whole club as it was, every every sort of you know running order every kind every kind of you know way of doing things and you basically say we're scrapping it all we're starting afresh and if i'm not much mistaken he more or less did that because he basically went through and he said okay the players you guys are getting in no we're doing that differently the way we're the way the team is playing no we're doing that differently we are going to have a different mindset we're going to have a different way of 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 taking this club forward and he was, you know, the prime example or the first time someone in the Premier League was given time to perform. And I think it shows because, you know, FSG could have gone and, you know, axed him 2017, maybe even 2018 when they were still, you know, not performing maybe to the level that most people expected when they saw what Klopp had done at Dortmund. But they didn't, and they kept with it, and the return on investment, so to speak, is insane. And I think it also goes to show, because FSG apparently offered Klopp an insane amount of money to stay in a last-ditch effort to try and get him, you know, to extend his contract or stay um, longer than the 2020 or the end of the season. So, I don't know. It, It goes to show, and I think you'll probably agree with me in saying this, but I'd expect a statue of Klopp being put in front of Anfield over the summer already. I think if you talk to any Liverpool fan, most of them, there'll be the outliers that that won't agree with this, but I think most of them would probably say he's up there with Shankly and Dalglish. Yeah. The first time round, not the second time round for Dalglish. But it's completely ridiculous how much of an effect he had on that club. They were like doorstopping people in the street, news reporters and Sky Sports and and all that, and telling people, have you, have you heard the news? Jurgen Klopp's leaving at the end of the season. And people are devastated. Oh, yeah. I get, okay, it's only football. And it is quite funny when you see people on Twitter going, oh, you know, a bit of a weird feeling outside of uh, Anfield this morning. A bit like when you go to the pub of, with your mates before uh, the funeral of a close friend. It's like, okay, it's not that bad. I Yeah, but still, you know, football is at the end of the day a religion and it plays a bigger role in a lot of people's lives, more of a role than some people care to admit. And I think you can't you can't underestimate the power that, sport and specifically the sport of football have in you know communities in bringing communities together in um giving people something to hold on to and you know when everything else fails and you still see your club get a win that weekend things might you know be looking up for you it's a very exaggerated standpoint but what i'm trying to say is that it's a lot more than people give it credit for i think and you know in that sense given the magnitude of the work that Jurgen Klopp has done at Liverpool, I didn't expect anything else. I mean, what did our friend Greg say? He said he was on the floor in the fetal position when he heard the news for like an hour. It's one of those ones. It sounds really weird, but I remember where I was when Sir Alex announced that he was going to retire. Exactly. I was in, well, it's like a woodwork class for GCSE. 
and it was all over BBC Sport and all that. And it's just shit. This is well, one, it's the only manager I'd ever known at that point. Obviously, Liverpool yeah. fans have lived through Rogers and Hodgson and Dalglish for the second time and Rafa Benitez towards the end and Gerard Houllier and Roy Evans and all that. So they've had some ups and downs, let's put it that way. Yeah. Roy Hodgson's probably the downs. I mean, Rafa Benitez is definitely one of the ups, to be fair. Um, there are a lot of clubs who got the the worst of Rafa Benitez and Liverpool fans. I think you can count yourselves lucky. You guys got the best out of them, if we're being honest. Tarnish that legacy with the Chelsea and the Everton jobs, but you know. Yeah, a little bit. But I mean, at that, but also the Real Madrid. Don't forget that. <laughs> I think they could forgive Real Madrid a little bit more than particularly the Everton one. Yeah, okay, you got it. You've you've got me there. I think going to your, you know, to the arch rivals right across the city is it's more than a dagger uh to the heart of any Liverpool fan, but you know, I, we're not here to talk about Rafa Benitez. We're talking about a man who has also said he will never manage another club in England. We will just play that little excerpt from his presser for you to enjoy right now. And whatever will happen in the future, I don't know now. I don't know now, but no club, no country for the next year, no other English club ever. I can promise that even if I have nothing to eat, that will not happen. So there we go. No club, no country for at least the next year. No English club ever. It's pretty safe to say they could probably start planning that statue now. Yeah, he's never he's he's not going to go and do a Rafa Benitez and, you know, go manage Everton or what or whatever. He's not going to do that. He's pretty clear about it. I think there are genuine concerns, especially in Germany, that he could say, this is it for me. I'm done managing. I'm retiring. Which, you know, he's mid-50s. It's It would be a little bit earlier than, than we've seen, you know, a good deal of managers go. But, you know, I'd say if you if you... If you look at what he's done at Liverpool, it's okay. My point being, we've said how much he had to put in and invest. And I genuinely believe, I genuinely believe that he is just done. He has no more energy because even though we said, yeah, it wasn't like Sir Alex Ferguson where he did it for 26 years um, and then, you know, had the successes through and through. I'd say that the state that Liverpool were in to completely turn the club around and then put them to where they are right now probably takes off more than just, you know, eight or nine years, if you know what I mean. And that's why he said he's, he just can't do it anymore. Yeah, well, he'd have a considerably larger pool of energy left if he wasn't fist bumping after a two-all draw <laughs> with West Brom. That picture will forever follow that man. And Come on, he did. He did it at Dortmund. He brought it to Liverpool. And if I was a Liverpool fan, I'd be every time. I'd be if I were in the stand or in front of the TV, I'd be doing it with him. It's it's a weird one for me. I conflicted with how I feel about it because when he was Dortmund manager, I was in love with the man. You know, he was he was different. He was charismatic in a game that takes itself so seriously as football does. He was he was different. You know. Bayern Munich at that period had Jupp Heynckes, who was and then, Pep. And, and then Pep Guardiola, but they were serious there 
crisply dressed, they're clean shaven, they're almost robotic in the way that they address the media. Yeah, yeah. And Jurgen Klopp turned around, it was like it was like everyone's fun uncle. I don't think he continued that in England. He did, uh, to begin with. Uh, Towards the end, he started complaining and moaning and blaming people a lot more. But again, you talk about the pressure of a top job, the pressure particularly at a job like Liverpool, very similar to the pressure at a job like like, like United, or we'll talk about Thomas Tuchel in a bit, Bayern. It it probably gets you, it probably wears you down. The the happy-go-lucky, you know, stuff sort of goes. But, you know, the Champions League win, He's being interviewed by Jan Arga Fjortov. You know, he used to play for Frankfurt and Swindon. No other manager in that situation is changing the lyrics to let's talk about sex, baby, to let's talk about six, baby. <laughs> it will forever remain one of my favourite Jurgen Klopp clips. Or the one of him sat on the bus where he's oh, going, and he one, goes, two, two, three, three four, four, five, six. <laughs> and you just know he's pissed as well. <laughs> Absolutely hammered, sat on the top of a double-decker bus. <laughs> Before we talk potentially about where he could go, is it fair to say he suffers from the Pep Guardiola issue? Because it's a fantastic list of achievements that he's got. But had Pep Guardiola not been in charge of Manchester City, I know there's a lot of ifs here, because if they didn't get Pep, they'd have got somebody else. Probably, or possibly, Jurgen Klopp. Could he have won a couple of of Premier Leagues at least? More. Okay, I'm going to have to break this down a little bit, because it, it... Does bring me to a to a point that I've wanted to make, and that's um, it. It ties into the to the whole deal of oh yeah, they didn't win that much for the fact that they were one of the best teams. Perfect rebuttal to that. Yes, he would have had at least one or two more Premier Leagues, maybe even three, if it hadn't been for the Manchester City team that Pep Guardiola had built. Now I say built with a little asterisk because that is a club backed by state money and Jurgen Klopp went up against that. Yeah, I know they're definitely owned by Fenway sports group. That's, you know, it's known. They don't also, you know, have small pockets or, you know, shallow pockets, if you will, but to really go up against a team like Manchester city. And that's why I also think, you know, when PSG were denied a league title by Lille, for instance, that is so much of a, bigger achievement because you know these clubs psg manchester city they're really backed by you know not just an investors group they're backed by a whole freaking country that's why i think it cannot be said enough what liverpool achieved under jürgen klopp and if we're being honest he gave without a shadow of a doubt the best manchester city teams that club and that that city have ever seen such a run for their money that they were going squeaky bum time right up until the last match day in multiple seasons. Tell me one team that finished with 97 freaking points at the end of a season and didn't win a title. So yeah, I mean, in answer to your question, 100% Jurgen Klopp would have brought at least one or two, I'd argue maybe even three Premier League titles to Liverpool had it not been for the Pep Guardiola syndrome, so so to speak. Okay, so that's that's the outgoing, and we'll talk about any p- potential incoming manager as and when we get any news on that because we could sit here, we could speculate for hours and hours and hours about the. I was going to say Xabi Alonso being the biggest name because uh, you know Bayer Leverkusen just got you know some calm and collectedness 
back into the club after Ancelotti uh, signed his contract extension with Real Madrid. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> Jurgen Klopp comes and is like, by the way, I'm out. And now everyone's like, oh, fuck, here we go again. <laughs> Barcelona, without a manager. Yeah. Klopp did say no club for, for another year. So that probably rules out Barcelona. I wouldn't say probably. They, I mean, there have been news reports as early as today of their sporting director, Deco, um, being in contact with Hansi Flick. So you never know. Fine. You you do you, Hansi. If he didn't like the media attention at Bayern, why is he going to go to Barcelona? I, I wouldn't. I think any manager worth his salt should not be touching Barcelona with a 10-foot pole. In all honesty, that club is so toxic at this point. You don't know. No manager probably has any idea what is really going on behind the scenes. And then you just get railroaded by, you know, the next docking of points or whatever. And because you can't even, you can't protect yourself against it. You have no idea what's going on behind the scenes because the club is so poorly run that you might just be facing, you know, criminal charges the next day without even knowing it. Well, that's Lewis's thoughts on FC Barcelona. Bayern Munich. Possibly if they stick with Thomas Tuchel for another year, there's the potential of a Jurgen Klopp appointment. On the other hand, I cannot see Julian Nagelsmann staying as the German national manager if they crash out of the Euros in their own country at the group stages. So would that open the door for Jurgen Klopp to come in? As a German, would you have Jurgen Klopp as the national team manager bearing in mind he did say his management style was built on energy well Quite i mean time off during the year for a national team coach put it this way i think um a lot of people would have wanted him instead of julian nagelsmann to replace um hansi flick if we're being honest obviously at the time liverpool and jürgen klopp all credit to him said he was like nope definitely not up for that there's no way i can do it but at the end of the day, it's still, well, I mean, Julian Nagelsmann is under the extreme pressure that, yeah, it's in your own backyard. If you crash out of the Euros again, it would be, you know, the, the fourth straight tournament that has not gone your way, which for German standards has never happened. You know, the, the other hand is that a lot of people are kind of hoping for the same effect of the World Cup 2006, that maybe Germany isn't, you know, completely rehabilitated. You know, they only managed to get to a semifinal or something like that. But, you know, you have that young crop of players that have now matured a little bit and someone finally gets the right stuff out of them and everyone kind of comes back together in support of the national team. Because arguably before the World Cup 2006, Germany wasn't in the best state if you look at their Euros 2004, the only problem is that, of course, 2002, they made it all the way to the final of the World Cup. And, you know, 2022, we all know what happened there. <laughs> We're getting off topic. I would say Jurgen Klopp is probably the best fit for the for Julian Nagelsmann should he, like you said, crash and burn at the Euros. I think that'd be the, the most logical thing. And I think as much as Thomas Tuchel has, you know, he's had that kind of Xabi Alonso problem, that Xabi Alonso is almost like a shadow that follows him around is basically like, yeah, the minute you screw up, I'm going to become Bayern manager. Nagelsmann's not going to have the same thing with Jurgen Klopp. Jurgen Klopp is going to be literally looking over Nagelsmann's shoulder, even though he probably doesn't want to manage Germany anytime soon. 
he's basically going to be on Nagelsmann's mind 24-7 because Nagelsmann's thinking the minute I screw up, Klopp's taking my position. Well, there you go. You heard it from a German that it would be a good appointment as the national team manager should Jurgen Klopp fancy that. And we'll move on to the Bundesliga, but before we do, Liverpool currently 1-0 up at home against Chelsea. Goal from Diogo Jota. Liverpool haven't lost at Anfield when scoring first in 86 matches a run dating back nearly seven years. So good luck to Chelsea on that one. But now let's move over to the Bundesliga. Well, we didn't get to it last episode, even though it had happened. In all honesty, that was because we'd already recorded it and then edited it, but just hadn't put it out. But of course, we will be taking a look at the red card that has kind of overshadowed the whole Union Berlin Bayern match that was basically a replay of the match day 13 matchup which couldn't be played due to extreme snow conditions in Munich Billy just after you know you've seen now the whole thing play out you've seen the you've seen exactly what has happened from five different camera angles you've heard the interviews afterwards three match ban and 25,000 euro fine adequate or no for for Bielica I think it's probably adequate, but I've not seen something like that since Alan Pardew headbutted David Mailer in 2014. Exactly. It's such a... Well, what I was quite annoyed about is they were showing a replay on the world feed that Sky Sports were streaming on YouTube. They were showing a replay of a foul or something from somebody. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, it's it's all kicked off. What's going on? And then you see the replay. And he properly goes for Leroy Sane. Yeah, I mean, the best part was in the in the post-match interview right afterwards, he was like, yeah, I'm sorry to my team, but I'm not sorry to Leroy Sane. I'm not apologizing to him. Like, bro, have you looked at the camera angles? Because he was like, yeah, he came into my coaching zone. Like, yeah, he wants the ball because he wants to play. And then when and Bielica, he was like, yeah, I tried to give him the ball. You see the replays. And he doesn't give Sané the ball, which is why Sané swipes for the ball in the first place, which then leads to Bielica dropping the ball and like slapping Sané and then going at him and like grabbing his face again a second time. And like you said, you know, you don't know when the last time it was that a manager really attacked a player like that. You've seen managers go at each other on the touchline, but a manager going after a player. And that's why a lot of people have said, you know, there have been. You know, and we we said with Ivan Tony the the ma- the proportionality of of bans for the infringement, a three match ban is given to players sometimes for a harsh foul. This is a clear. I mean, I'd al- almost argue it's an oversight on the DFB, um, on the DFB Court of Justice part because you can't just attack a player and then be like, yeah, okay, it's kind of like you know when a player when you know it's a player versus player thing. Because a manager, he's in, you know, he's in a, he's in a leadership position. I don't know. Why would you say that three matches, only the three matches is adequate? Well, it's not just that. I think there is a a bigger issue around this when things like that do happen in football. Because if you did that outside of the stadium, say he went up to Sane after the match or something before he was getting on the team bus and did exactly the same thing he'd be brought up on assault charges. Yeah. So I think he can consider himself lucky. It's only a three-match ban and 
uh, euro fine. Again, something like that is not proportional. It should be harsher. Yeah, that's, t- that's exactly my point. Yeah, for attacking a player during a match. As a manager, yeah. As a manager. And then going, well, he came into my technical area. I can do what I want. <laughs> no. The balls on this guy to do that post-match right away as well. You know, say, say tonight, Jurgen Klopp's got the ball under his arm at Anfield. Cole Palmer comes along to get it away from Jurgen Klopp. Klopp just drops the ball and gives Cole Palmer the people's elbow <laughs> right in the jaw. Oh, it's just a three-match ban and a and a twenty-five thousand pound fine. There'd be absolute uproar. I mean, to be fair, there has been, and you know, one of the consequences that the sporting director for Union Berlin, Oliver Runard, already last weekend said. He he didn't he didn't outright say that we're going to get rid of Bielitsa, but when asked if they were sticking to Bielitsa, he was like, he kind of skirted the question. He was like, yeah, we're going to you know figure out the the consequences on our own terms, and we're not happy with Bielitsa. And he he definitely didn't take the chance to say we're sticking to our guy, but he will have consequences. He could have said that in in answer to this question, and he didn't. So if we're being honest, we could be seeing. The very, very abrupt end to Bielitsa's managing career in the Bundesliga, even though he had up to the up to the point of or right before the Bayern game already garnered more points than Urs Fischer had his predecessor in that in the same season. So he's obviously turned it around. But if you do things like that, like I'm sorry, Leroy Sané definitely has had you know his fair share. Like if you remember the red card against um, Austria. He's also seen red, quite literally, before. But this was definitely not his fault. Well, I don't think anybody would really complain if Bielicja sort of up and vanished like a fart in the wind. But let's move away from Union, but let's stick with Bayern. A 3-2 win at the weekend. A scrappy 3-2 win at the weekend. Almost pissed that away. A good penalty save from Manuel Neuer. Only after he, you know, was the one who got carded for the penalty. In all honesty, I thought it was like, in if you don't see the replay right away, you would think that he had actually gotten the ball because right where his fist is, is also Matthijs De Ligt's head. So when De Ligt head, heads it away, it looks like Neuer punched it away. But in the replays, you just clearly see that Noya, and it was really weird because it looked like he was going for like a right hook instead of going, you know, for a straight jab to get the ball away. So his right hook just completely whacks Udukai in the back of the head. But that's, you know, that's only a specific thing. Like it was just scrappy from start to finish. You just thought, you know, there were multiple times where you didn't see the ball going, you know, five yards without without being without having a misplaced pass. A lot of stuff has been attributed to the absolutely poor conditions on the pitch. I mean, Leon Goretzka said, I don't care if I get a shitstorm for this. That pitch was unplayable. Would you say that players can be using that as, you know, an excuse in quote unquote or not so much? I don't know. I'm reluctant to give that as an excuse. Call me harsh, call me whatever, but I'm, I am reluctant to give that as a, as an excuse for something like that. It's, it's difficult. Bayern have a, a tremendous amount of injuries. I was about to say that there's that too. Like, if you look at it, obviously in that game, Kimmich had a shoulder injury. Upamecano uh, 
torn hamstring. Then you have Kingsley Coman going off. And now it's been revealed he has a torn ligament in his knee. He's out for two to three months, which is why they might be getting Brian Zaragoza on a six-month earlier deal than previously agreed upon because they just have zero wingers at this point. You've only got Leroy Sané and now Matisse Tell had to help out on the wing. It's a very, very thin squad. Obviously, Masraoui is now going to come back because Morocco were kicked out of the Africa uh, Cup of Nations. But yeah, it's not looking all too rosy for Bayern. And one guy who has had his fair share of criticism of Bayern, and incidentally, Thomas Tuchel, struck again. And that was Didi Hamann. And I don't know what you make of his comments, but over the top, yes or no? No, I don't think so. But I would like to sit down with Didi Hamann <laughs> and try and work out where this seeming hatred for Bayern Munich comes from. <laughs> because he he had a good career, he had five years at Bayern playing for the exactly. Bayern. You know, is it is it because he he he's not a very good manager? Like his last managerial position was Stockport in two thousand and eleven, <laughs> when he was the manager of Stockport County. <laughs> but to call Thomas Tuchel the biggest managerial mistake since Jurgen Klinsmann is a bit harsh to Thomas Tuchel. Have you looked at Jürgen Klinsmann's record at Bayern? Well, just remember that it ended in April 2009 with a 4-0 smacking by Barcelona. Obviously, this is the Barcelona team that had Lionel Messi, Thierry Henry, Samuel Eto, and the list goes on. But still, you know, Jürgen Klinsmann was probably one of the worst managers Bayern have ever seen. And, you know, Thomas Tuchel previously won the Champions League with what at the time was a very averagely performing Chelsea side. Exactly. So what I do back, and I'm quite a big fan of this, is Bayern issuing a statement saying that they would no longer tolerate any criticism of the manager and that the criticism always comes from, in, in, in inverted commas, the same corner. So they know he does this. He always kicks off about this. Well, he's he's not. I mean, I was about to say it's not the first time he's attacked Tuchel. You know, he's done it time and time again. He said he's he's losing the dressing room. You know, he's alienating the players. I mean, points that we have made as well, or have said at least could be a problem for Tuchel. But if you've got the same guy attacking him week in week out, and the comments came off the back of a fan club visit by all of the Bayern squad who went to various fan clubs, and Tuchel said in an interview that at some point he might be tempted by a job in Spain and Haman took that to mean because it was you know a day or two after Xavi also said that he would be leaving Barca at the end of the season that Tuchel was already setting his sights on the Barca job and was basically done with Bayern and then he went off and it was just like bro then do your research and in all honesty I would wager a bet that he only used that as an excuse or as an apology because the way Haman has been going off at Tuchel has been, it's been, it's now gotten to the point where I can understand why Bayern have issued a statement. It was you that sent this to me. He he confronted Didi Haman, didn't he? Yeah, there was a little thing where they were like, you know, and in a post match interview as well. This was uh, before Christmas, and they really got into it as well. It was it was insane. Him and it was more Lothar Mateos to be fair, but still. You know, Mateo's also criticized Bayern and said, you know, it wasn't 
like Bayern are getting the points, but it's still not the best, you know, result that you can have. And if we're being honest, after 20 match days, Bayern have, I think it's the second most points in their history up until this point in a season. So Tuchel is doing something right. He's got a better record than Nagelsmann, by the way, after 20 games. He's doing something right, definitely. But perfect little segue into this now. There is a man somewhere else in Germany that's doing even better. And that is Xabi Alonso with Leverkusen. But dropped points to a club that I wasn't expecting them to drop points to. Borussia Mönchengladbach at the weekend. Yeah, it was it was the the comeback of uh, Bayer Leverkusen and Gerardo Seoane after he was incidentally sacked to make way for Xabi Alonso when he had managed Leverkusen to a shocking 17th place about a year ago. And if we're being honest, everyone expected Bayer Leverkusen to win that. I don't know if you saw that monster tackle by Florian Neuhaus on... Jeremy Frimpong, you know, last ditch effort before Frimpong was through on goal and, you know, in front of just, just had the keeper to beat. And it's things like that where you would say it was just Bayer Leverkusen peppering the Gladbach goal with chances and opportunities, but none of them seemed to want to creep in. And that's why the title race has, you know, really been blown open because there are only two points separating Leverkusen and Bayern now. And it's a, I mean, it is in, a, in essence a two horse race because third placed Stuttgart are on 37 points. So they're a good bit away. They're 10 points separating second and third place. It could have been a bit different because he decided to start Mate Kovar in goal, signed in the summer from Manchester United. It's yeah. over Lukas Shadetsky, but. They're missing a tremendous amount of players. Obviously, Jonathan Tarr didn't play. Robert Andrik, because of Edmund Tapsoba and Kusunu being at AFCON, had to play at centre-back. So that obviously wouldn't have helped. And he's a CDM. You know, right. and he's a, he's a defensive midfielder. But then you have still got Granit Xhaka, you've got Frimpong, you've got Grimaldo, Verts, Schick. They all played. I know Victor Boniface is a big loss. They've just signed Borja Iglesias from Real Betis. Yeah. So there's a squad in there. It just depends whether they can, I don't know, whether they can, well, not choke, basically. Well, yeah, I was about to say more like keep it together because we did praise them last week, didn't we? About, you know, despite losing all the players to AFCON and to injury, they still managed to scrape that 3-2 win over Leipzig. Do you think that they're in danger of falling apart not due to their mentality but just due to the players that they're missing i I don't think so i don't want to say i think they're in any danger of falling apart because they did fantastically well against leipzig to come back from behind twice any you play that game 99 more times against gladback at the weekend they probably win it a good 80 80 odd times out of 100 they probably win that game they've got a a dfb pokal quarterfinal against third place Stuttgart coming up next week and then that weekend the 10th of February is the the return fixture against Bayern at the Bayern Arena so if Bayern win that massive game as well massive game if Bayern win that they're probably in the driver's seat for the title if they lose that 
you're probably banking on another last day choke at best. Yeah. I'd 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 hesitate to say in February if you lose that game you've lost it. No, no, I wouldn't but go that if, far. If you lose that game, you're probably like last season, you're playing catch up. You're banking on Dortmund dropping points like they did last year. You know, Leverkusen are gonna have to drop points like Dortmund did. It's such a fantastically close league again this year. I'd argue that it is it is to a certain extent still a small final on the 10th of February. Funnily enough, right one day before the Super Bowl. We I just had to I just had to reference it because because my my San Francisco 49ers are have, have finally made it back. So that's the only reason. Anyways, I'd say 10th of February, mark it in your calendars because that is very much still at least a decider for the months to come. Because obviously it's not over for either team if you know they lose that. If Bayern win that, they're only a point ahead of Leverkusen. And if Bayern lose it, they're quote-unquote only four points behind, which still Leverkusen could drop. You know, they did drop points against the Gladbach team. Why couldn't they drop points against another Bundesliga team? It's it's not unheard of. But I still think, you know, it's a very, very clear sign of where the Bundesliga could be going come 10th of February. Well, mark it in your calendars, people. We will cover it extensively we'll cover the backlash from that game on the show come the middle of february just before we go we did mention stuttgart having that quarter final against leverkusen next week but at the weekend they absolutely trounced rb leipzig 5-2 at home and there was a hat trick for former brighton striker dennis undab who in the premier league it's fair to say couldn't hit a cow's ass with the fat end of a banjo, couldn't hit water <laughs> if he fell out of a boat, if you prefer. Oh, you a fantastic hat trick against Leipzig. Goals from them from Benjamin Chesco and Lois Openda. But is this a case of Stuttgart being absolutely fantastic and blowing them away? Or is this RB Leipzig's annual self destruct? Well, I don't know about annual self destruct, but they've been kind of sitting the self destruct button since Christmas. I mean, right before Christmas is already kind of uh, it was kind of uncoming or becoming unraveled, and and then after Christmas, you know, they still haven't won a game in twenty twenty four. They've now they've now managed to concede nine goals in three games. I mean, given yeah, more than half of that was in one game against Stuttgart, but still, if you're only scoring, you know, they scored four goals, conceded nine, zero points. That's bottom of the table if you start a season like that. And I mean, I don't know. We said they're missing the defensive options of Vili Orban. Yeah, obviously he's fit, but he hasn't, you know, really come back into the swing of things. But I don't know. Would you wager a bet on Leipzig completely missing out on European football this season? Well, they are only two points clear of Eintracht Frankfurt, who are in sixth, which is that Europa Conference League place. SC Freiburg are down on 28. So it would take a pretty spec. Well, it's only five points, I suppose, isn't it? So if they don't start picking up points from somewhere at the weekend, they host Union Berlin. So that's probably a perfect opportunity to pick up some points at home against a, albeit slightly better Union Berlin side since Urs Fischer stepped down. But it's not a great start to the year. 
and how much pressure before we just before we finish just a, a quick one how much pressure is that going to put on marco rosa if they don't make european competition does he make it past the end of the season i think they'll still stick with him past the end of the season just because who are you, who are you going to get in right now who fits the leipzig profile you know of not being too big of a name that you can't possibly afford him or even you know convince him of the job but also not a name that is just so irrelevant that he won't be able to you know do anything with that Leipzig team so I think Marco Rosa will still be in the driver's seat uh come next season barred some cataclysmic unraveling where they you know go all the way down and drop to like eighth or something and really do miss out on European football by a long shot well there we go i think that's probably a fantastic place to leave it sadly no premier league on the show this week as it was fa cup weekend but there are some midweek matches which any big results will dip into in our next episode along with this weekend's fixtures as well but of course don't forget to like share and subscribe to at sports news on facebook twitter and instagram and make sure to check out the 50 plus one football show on google podcasts apple podcasts Amazon Podcasts, and Spotify. But as always, thank you very much for listening, guys. Keep calm and love the beautiful game.